Well, hello, Bible Love visitor or listeners. So glad you're here with us today on um, this second week of Advent. We will start our time together with a prayer. The Lord be with you. Also with you. May he whose second coming and power and great glory we awake, await. Make your steadfast, make you steadfast in faith, joyful in hope, and constant in love. Amen. 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 So we have wrapped up um, Judges. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. It's been a wild ride. And so we need to take a break from that craziness. And so as we've been doing, between the books of the Bible, we invite someone on just to come talk about Scripture in general, how we approach it in our lives, how it's helped shape us. So today we have the Right Reverend Frank Logue, who serves as the Bishop of Georgia, He uh, has been bishop there for a little over a year. He was one of the first pandemic bishops, which I thought was a fascinating thing, figuring out how to lay hands when we can't lay hands and all of that. And maybe we'll talk about some of that. So, Frank, how are you doing? Thank you for being with us. Oh, good. Glad to be with you. It is a a dreary day in Savannah, so gathering for recording audio seems perfect. Uh, It's a good day for listening to a podcast, so let's talk about Scripture, shall we? Absolutely. That sounds good. Well, Frank, tell us in general as a human being, as a follower of Christ, as a minister, however you want to put yourself in category, what the Bible means to you. Sure. I mean, uh, Scripture is where I encounter the story that God wants me to hear and reflect on, right? So so not, not what we sometimes want it to be, uh, a guide that we can go running to in times of trouble. It doesn't work well for that. Uh, I can't, uh, you know get back a biopsy result that isn't what I want and go rushing to the chapter that's going to tell me how to deal with that. But I find that if I marinate my script, myself in scripture regularly, then um, there's a sense that God's got this, whatever this is, and the sense of how God's got this, right? And so that's that's been important to me. It's not really the view of scripture I was raised with. I grew up in a in a household that was more fundamentalist. I uh, went to a private Christian school with a graduating class of nine um, and uh, memorized a whole lot of the King James Version uh, as a child. Um, I stay connected to that graduating class. Uh, we, we've all changed, grown, evolved in different ways, but, um, but I appreciate being handed Scripture I have over time had my views shifted as I live with, sit with Scripture. Uh, that journey has been shaped by the, the words of, of the Bible as much as anything else. But but it's been an ongoing process for me. And so certainly I was handed things like the Bible being inerrant and what that exactly meant. Uh, like it's sort of scientifically inerrant, historically inerrant, that sort of thing. Um and yet I've never stopped taking the Bible seriously in my life. Um, I, 
Um, and so it's it's been an ongoing journey with the same text, and you come back to it, and each time you come back to it, it's you're in a different place, and you're hearing it in a different context, and and so that's that's so so now what I see is it's it's mostly the story that God wants me to hear and know and reflect on, um, and. Uh, and I experience it as inspired text in the sense that not only were those who wrote it inspired, but the reading of it is inspired. And God is present with me in the reading of it and reflecting on it. Um, so that, you know, a, a comparison I've used before, and then we can dig a little more into questions you have or whatever, but uh, communion bread. I know all about communion bread we used for 10 years starting a church from scratch in Kingsland, Georgia, uh, because I used a recipe I'd gotten at Virginia Seminary. It's honey wheat bread. I know exactly what goes into it. My daughter and I used to make it for the church until, as a church planter, we were able to pass it off to other members and share with them, and they're making the bread. And knowing everything about the, the, the very human process of making that bread did not prevent it from being the body of Christ for us in worship in a very real way, the real presence of Christ. In that same way, I can study and learn and dive deep into whatever I I want about historical criticism and scripture, about, about understanding the transmission history, about all those things, and none of the humanness of that text prevents God from inspiring me as I read it and being present with me in the Word. Oh, how so that's kind of it's kind of where I am. What a great analogy with the communion bread! Love that. I didn't go to Virginia Seminary, but the two of you did. But they're teaching y'all some cool things like how to make bread. Right, I didn't <laughs> learn how to make bread. I should have. You have to you have to ask the right questions, man. It's not all they can't they can't hand you everything. You know, I learned I learned how to play football at BTS. I also not played football. I. I I got through on an athletic scholarship. Uh, that was not me deciding that. The dean of the seminary one time uh, came up. I was co-captain of the team, and she said, Frank, uh, I understand the loss that you had to Trinity School for Ministry, but General Seminary's coming in, and I want to win, and I hate to put too much pressure on you, but your athletic scholarship is on the line. And I said, Dean, I don't have an athletic scholarship. She said, Last time I checked, and she was telling the truth, you do not pay tuition for this institution. You can you can call it anything you want. I'm calling it an athletic scholarship, and I'm telling you it's on the line. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. We've moved, we've moved from uh, Scripture and how it speaks to us to how uh, the people it in our lives do. Frank, yeah. I will tell you, it often comes back to flag football around here. Okay. Um, and I can I can add to that conversation this year because where I went to school, the Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas, won their flag football for the first time ever this year. So thanks, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, great picture of Cynthia Bridge Kitchen. Just like. I can't believe it. It happened. So, yeah. yeah. It's one of the things I share with the Bishop of Atlanta, the other diocese uh-huh. in Georgia. Bishop Wright and I played football together. That's great. I love That's it. That's great. Yeah. We'll have to sit down, you, me, and Ian Lash, and talk about football at some point. Ian and I were kind of co-captains, and we spent way too much time game planning for Trinity School for Ministry. Yeah. We were yeah. not successful. Um, yeah. So yeah, we, we um, didn't lose our scholarships, though. 
no, I didn't either, but we lost all three games to Trinity School for ministry my three years there. Yeah. It's hard to go on the road with eight people and come back with a win. Yeah. That's my excuse. So as much as I'd love to talk football, which I would love to, um, some of the things you talked about, you know, I have a similar upbringing, uh, more conservative tradition uh, where memorization of scripture views of scripture. Like I remember a pastor um, explaining to me about a pastor who was a scientist in his previous life, explaining about the dome that covered the earth and how it prevented things and allowed people to live to certain ages. And like, I have this vivid memory of him explaining to me how these things that are in the Bible happened like right. physically and scientifically. Um, but as right. I've grown and evolved and I thought about this, I was teaching, I'm teaching a confirmation class and this past Sunday, the focus was on the Bible, you know, one of the canonical things we talk about. And there's some folks there that have wrestled with, with that in the past. And, you know, they're kind of deconstructing these things and they're coming at it. It's like, this isn't like a guide or this isn't like a uh, textbook that's telling me things. How do we approach scripture? And mm-hmm. so I just love for you to talk a little bit more about how, you've grown and evolved and how you see um, in the context of the community, how the Bible is best used as um, that, that guide or that um, however you phrased it about um, kind of the inspiration. Like how do you see that best lived out in yeah. the church? Community? So I think it's, I think it's lived out in two ways that are happening at the same time. And one of them is individual reading of scripture and reflecting on it at the same time of doing that with community. Um, and so uh, gathering uh, with a community for worship, um, you know, one of the hard things about making the move from uh pastor of a local congregation to I was first canon of the ordinary here in the Diocese of Georgia and then Bishop is I really miss weekly Bible studies with people. Um, it's not that that never happens or, that, but, it, but I used to be able to do that basically 52 weeks a year. It was ongoing in the church. I would be away some, but the, the study would continue and, and sitting and reflecting with people on it was helpful. But you know, I, I, I preach, uh, more than 50 sermons a year and sort of reflecting on that for people with folks getting feedback on that. That's one way that I, I um, encounter scripture and they're encountering it. And then the other is through my daily devotions of morning and evening prayer. Um, now my wife and I, uh, Victoria is a, uh, tertiary, a, a member of the third order society of St. Francis. She's been life professed for, uh, more than a dozen years, and um, our practice every morning is wake up, get a cup of coffee by about five twenty, five thirty in the morning. We're sitting on the couch. We pray morning prayer together, and together is a weird term. So we sit <laughs> by each other, and we're each praying the same things, but silently when we get to a spot for Scripture, we then read that together. Sometimes we talk about it. Sometimes we don't. We then move back into our prayers. I've got a prayer list from praying for the prayer needs of the diocese. She has her prayer list from Third Order Society of St. Francis of people she's praying for. So together and apart both, right? And then when I'm on the road away from her, keeping that same pattern of prayer, we um, have often read through the whole Bible together in the sense of we've done that eight times together. 
uh, read through in a year uh, the whole Bible. And uh, then we also used a lectionary from the Book of Common Prayer. And, and they each have their pros and cons, right? So reading through the, the daily office lectionary skips a lot of the, the, the tricky bits. Uh, can be uh, connects you better to the seasons of the church year when there are seasons like uh, Advent and Lent. They they do that well, but it doesn't have you encounter all of Scripture, and so we we find it's good to take a break and to do something and to use different translations. So last year, from the first Sunday in Advent to the the Saturday before the next first Sunday in Advent. We read through in a year Robert Alter's translation, the Hebrew Bible, which is pretty newly out. And at the same time, David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament. Uh, and we use the pattern found in uh, OneYearBibleOnline.com. And One Year Bible can give you it. You can type in whatever your start date is, and it will give you a daily pattern of reading Scripture that has you reading a little Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and a couple of verses from Proverbs, which is easier read in a short bit. So we've used that. Um, and uh, actually, uh, this year that was two years ago. This past year, we had bought Biblioteca. A, um, it was a... Uh, fundraising campaign to create a new Bible that was a beautiful five-volume set, well-typeset with a, a different translation, the NRSV updated as a scholar's translation. And we set up a pattern, and for the first time ever, we read through from Genesis to Revelation in order, as opposed to dividing it up. And that translation also had the Apocrypha. So we read through Old Testament, Apocrypha, and New Testament all in a year, four pages in the morning, four pages in the evening. And so to do those two things together, to have the reading scripture together every day, um, and then... uh, the worship of the church with scripture in it, that really just sort of informs my faith. And the best words I have for it are it's a way of marinating in scripture. Um, and, and the reason I moved that is I looked at people who uh, I knew in the church and I wasn't, I wasn't good about always doing morning and evening prayer. I wasn't good about, and this is a priest. I just had fallen to, I've got small child at home and I'm really not doing it. Uh, it's a thing that I say is it matters to me and it, and I'm, I'm missing a lot. And, and then I've realized that the people in my life who really I admire when they go through adversity had been marinating themselves in scripture. And this needs to become a priority for me. This is a thing that can't be hit or miss. It can't be that I get it three days a week and feel like a champ. I'm not, judging anyone but myself and just saying discovered that this daily encounter needed to be a high priority for me. I would Victoria and I'd read through the whole Bible before I went to seminary. It's not like it was a pattern we'd never had, but, but it was just again, sort of falling into different times of life. And so for me, then, then encountering it in that way informs encountering it in worship, Right. So that it, it breaks apart the loose verse, like a little, we're reading six verses and talking about it because I've encountered those six verses kind of in course before. Um, and I, and so I, I don't know, I feel like I take scripture 
so much more seriously than I did as a younger fundamentalist who thought that no human could take scripture more seriously than, right? Um, but I take it literarily as opposed to literally, um, in, in the sense of understanding poetry as poetry and, and apocalypse as apocalypse. Um, and Frank, can you talk a little bit more about that? And, and let me ask you a specific question about that. Like I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and mm-hmm. this women should not speak in church. She's like, but the Bible says, you know, women should not speak. Or, or, or you, could, you, you could use like it. There's tons of examples of things like that. You know, and my response always is we've got to take it in the context it was written and, you know, the historical time and all those yep. things. What do you, yep. what do you yep. say to people when they say things like that? Is that sort of the same response you give? In a way. But what I say is uh, I try to hold myself accountable to all of Scripture uh, and, and looking at it. And it's like, sure, there's that verse. And it talks about covering your head. And it talks about women in Scripture. But I also notice how Jesus encounters the women in his life. I notice how Paul writes to women and leadership in the church. And and so I'm noticing a lot of things that are happening that seem very counter to the culture that's telling me that that's the way it is. You're reading the stories of amazing women of faith upheld as amazing women of faith uh, going, uh, you know, I mean, the book of judges has that we've got, you know, and then you move into the, to, to the faithfulness of Hannah and uh, just, just throughout scripture, you're encountering something very different uh, routinely getting um, images of God that are feminine in nature, that sort of thing. So, so I'm like, okay, hand me a verse, but great. Hand me the whole of scripture and I can't be a misogynist anymore. I can see how misogyny is present in the Bible, but sin is present in the Bible, right? It's, it's, well, it's, it's not that. So I'm looking at all of that and seeing that together with my prayer life, with 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 women in my life and in the church who help me see those parts differently because Scripture taught me to look at the the fruit that the tree is bearing and to see what it is. And so I don't have to worry too much about whether I'm interpreting a given verse right about women in the church to understand that I am seeing people called by God, gifted by God, who are priests in the church, and they are bearing fruit of ministry that I was told is is what the life of faith looks like and those are women leaders, right? So I don't have to get bent out of shape that I get this verse right to to get that all of Scripture is inspiring my way of looking at those passages. Anytime yeah. we want to say, what about these six verses that tell us this? I'm sort of like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I could hand you four other verses. Let's stop and just say, where are we finding God present in Scripture and what does that look like? And how does that relate to the lives we're living? I don't think it's exactly where you're going. It does. It totally makes sense. And not even just like on the women issue, you know. No, not not at all. God asking um, Abraham to sacrifice his son. You know, like all these things that like we can't even comprehend, right? 
Um, how no, it's some happen? crazy stuff, really, right? Uh, and and the idea of uh, battles happening and things. And and I'm and I'm. What's interesting though in Scripture is the ways in which there's things that tug at, at each other. So you've got the specialness of. Israel called as a nation, called out uh, the the experience of the Exodus, and then over in Amos, we we got a reading in the Daily Office for for this year, reading to that um, yesterday, right? Where Amos is saying, "Hey, didn't I call you out of Egypt the way I called the Philistines out of Kaphtor and the Arameans out of Kerr?" And you stop and go, "Wait, wait, what?" You did what, God? You, 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 you had this unique relationship with Israel, and it seems to be in all creation. And now, all of a sudden, you're telling us you you were working to the Philistines, you were working no. to the Arameans. Wait, I thought those were the the bad guys. And it's sitting right there with Scripture intention with itself, saying, "Notice this." And it's a way I think of reading Scripture backwards sometimes. Like what I mean is. You get to that verse that says, but wasn't I with the Philistines and the Arameans? And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to go back to the scripture about the Philistines and the Arameans. And I need to see that God loved them too, right? And so you get to the end of Mark's gospel and you're hearing about, and these women uh, traveled with Jesus. They, they uh, paid for the expenses out of, the, out of their own household and stuff. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to go back and revisit all those times I thought it was 12 dudes on a dusty road because now we're being told it was a larger group and that the larger group was always there, right? In the same way you get to the thing and it's like, and he sent out 70. It's like, whoa, 70. Where did he get 70? Where did that? And, and you go back and you, 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 you relook at the verses that came before and say, okay, the context was a little different than what I thought. Yeah. Before I'm so ready to grab hold of the iconic picture of the Last Supper with, uh, uh, you know, 13 men gathered around one side of the table to remember that this was a upper room and a Passover and it was somebody's house. And John Mark, uh, who from whom we're, we're getting Mark's gospel, seems to have been there, right? There's some verses that, that hint that this is probably his household and some things he's remembering. And you're like, wait. If it was really a Passover Seder, it's not just a given group. It would be incomprehensible to have it without the whole household present. And so so we, we get to the later part, and there's somebody running off, uh, and their cloak gets grabbed, and they're suddenly running naked into the night. You go, wait, they were there too. We, we know they were there. We're, we're told that now. Oh, there were more people present. And sometimes it, it just helps to go back and rethink a little bit what you saw before. Uh, in light of what you're reading in Scripture. So Scripture sort of helping you read Scripture over time. That's what I'm saying. It's the story God wants us to, to sit with, but that doesn't make any individual verse. If we give it power all by itself, there's danger in that. I mean, the book of Job, it, when Job ends, God's saying that three of that, that his friends who gathered with him were wrong. Wait, wrong. We just quoted them a bunch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, it's like they, they've given their account of suffering. And God says, dudes, you missed the point. There's, there's something else going on here. So you're supposed to go back and realize, wait, some of what the friends were saying, they, they had the wrong end of the stick, you know. Well, and I um, think to your point, I mean, Alan and I are both 
you know, ordained priests. We've been to seminary. We learned the Bible, you know, all those things. But I feel like, and I'm, I'm cradle Episcopalian, so I didn't really learn the Bible when I was young, if I'm honest. Um, but I really feel like this time we've been in this podcast over a year now, like I'm really learning the Bible. <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah. although I already knew it, but like to your point of like, like going through it again and really feeling it and being slow and that. And one person that we've, we've had a lot of great guests. Um, but one person that was on that I remember him saying this, Greg Farron, he said, you know, we're not called to worship the Bible. We're called to worship God. And right. I, I really right. love what he said in that because I think we can get really caught up in the worshiping of the Bible versus right. caught up in the worshiping of the church versus Jesus. You know, it's this. Oh, it's my this word. Yes. Oh, my word. Yeah. yeah. Dad admitted one time I fell in love with the church before I fell in love with Jesus and he's a priest mm-hmm. as well. I think that's a beautiful thing to remember, like the Bible and the church, they're second. God is first, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how can we, um, marry or marinate or all of those things and make them happen in a beautiful way. And we won't be perfect at it, right? Because we're human beings. Which is why I think it's important that the two patterns that I named for you are both uh, in the context of worship and prayer. And so morning and evening prayer, it's in the context of prayers that, that I have found is helpful for me to encounter Scripture in Sunday worship encounter Scripture. And then it's good, aside from that, to have times of Bible study and things like you're doing and diving deep into it. But to realize that it is part of an ongoing life of faith in which the way, you know, I read something and I'm inspired on this given day for that verse to go, wow, that really speaks to me. When I've read it before, it didn't speak to me in quite the same way before. But, you know, pandemic highlights some things for you in a different way, right? But so does um, the loss of a relationship, a betrayal. So does uh, losing a job or whatever. All sorts of things cause you to see Scripture differently. Um, but but never about the text per se, but about the God who is in the text and the God who is in my heart and life and with us in worship and with us in the daily stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's why I say the overarching story thing I get from scripture is I'm in the emergency room with my daughter and this is real. Uh, she's in shock at this point and it's not really clear that, that which way things are going to go. They've medically done for her what they can. And, and really last time I'd been in that same room, the person I was with died and that would have been, within the year, right? The same hospital as a priest. And I'm just praying. And I had this terrible sense that came over me. Just what I understood was that it was going to be okay. What I didn't understand was whether or not my daughter was going to live or not. Mm. I, I didn't love that. <laughs> I had a sense that God's got this. I didn't have a sense that medically everything's going to be fine and my daughter's going to live through this day. I had a sense that whether my daughter lives or dies, she's the Lord's, and that God is with her in the midst of this. And that was a fearful and terrible reckoning uh, of my faith that 
that I just would not have arrived at without years of reading scripture in a way. This sense of, and being with other people who had read the story and knew it. There's a sense in which you can say, whether we live or we die, we're the Lord's great. That's great. Sure. But when you've, when you've gone back the story and gone back the story and been with people in their lives and you just realize, nope, I've seen it and I've felt it. I've been with the family after suicide and it seems unbearable and yet it is. I've been with another family that just doesn't have any sense that there is a God and it's just unbearable. And so that, that undergirding of not just the God I know in scripture, but the God I meet in scripture and know in prayer in my daily life, right? So that's the difference. And this sense that it gives me that, okay, later I'm going to look back and I'm going to see how God was in this. Right now I don't see that. And I'm not going to worry about that right now. Um, that's what the life of faith is. And it's, it's, it's not what I want it to be. It's not a sense of peace at all times. It's not a sense of, of everything's going to be Jim Dandy. It's a sense that sometimes things are going to go to crap. And yet God's going to work things together for the good over time. Not usually in the way I want God to, but, but in ways that I will look back and, and it was good and right, even if painful. And, Thank you and so that's, much for that. that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. So when I say I read through the whole Bible and I have a sense that God's got this, even the parts that I'm holding wrong right now, I, I really mean that. And, and I was taught that the, the Bible's infallible and I don't quite believe that except over time I've come to see why a group of people would have said that. And it's because if you read it together as a group of people, you're finding that the God you meet in Scripture is infallibly showing up in your life, your fallible life, uh, and and inspiring it in some ways that this book seems to be connected to. So I understand why they would be tempted to say that. Uh, but to describe it as an errant would suggest that my readings don't err, and I'm not prepared to say that. Um my reading of scripture can err and yet God will still be with me. Um, and that's much more dependable than any given way I read a verse at this point in time. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for sharing personally from your heart, your ministry, all that you do. We are so glad you are here and we hope you'll come back again and how blessed are the folks in the diocese of georgia to have you as their bishop you are too kind it it is a it is a a real honor to get to serve as a bishop of the church i um one brief story i know you're finding stop in place on my election which is a real surprise to me i was in the midst of having told the chancellor that morning when i get to the microphone just know it's to I don't want to hold on to votes today where people feel like they need to vote for me as the local candidate. I will be going to the microphone after some votes to drop out, basically, uh, to let the election go where it needs to. And then, and then, to, um, so when the standing committee came in to tell me I'd been elected on the first ballot, uh, and, and you're now walking to go speak to the convention. <laughs> 
that's a moment in time when you're left with what you already know, which is what comes out of a life of reading scripture and praying all the time. And I remember standing before the convention and I said, I know the script. I'm supposed to tell you that I'm humbled and honored. That's what we say. I'm humbled and honored. Actually, I'm stunned and terrified. But it was okay because the women at the tomb were stunned and terrified too. And and it just shows how human you are, which makes them love you even more. So I think that, I think that thank you, thank y'all for this time. Appreciate it. Well, remember, listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Mm-hmm.